Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to Blonde Hair, Black Heart. Coming up on the episode, I've got a very special guest, and I've got a feeling that the tree huggers are gonna be pissed at me. But you know what I say, I love mess. <laughs> Before that, I want to talk about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So this season opens up with Erica and Rena hanging out, and then separately Sutton and Garcelle are hanging out. So lines are already drawn. They are definitely letting us know early on where the divides in this group are. Both duos are talking about Sutton's appearance on Watch What Happens Live, when Andy brought up how Rinna was upset at Garcelle for not double or triple thanking Harry Hamlin for his spaghetti sauce. Like, was it really that good? And Sutton mentioned the Elton John gala and how Rinna and Harry were her guests one year, but she never received a thank you. Sutton says to Garcelle that she thinks they'll be okay, but based on how Rinna is explaining things to Erica on the show, and based on how things are playing out off-camera currently, my guess is probably not. But we'll get into that. Later on, Erica and Garcelle go to work out together, and this is probably going to be one of the only scenes that we see of them one-on-one, um, you know, seeing as how we know how things turned out between them as the season progressed. You know, remember where Erica's copy of Garcelle's book ended up? <laughs> So Erica's talking about how she's been eating and drinking more than ever, ordering Taco Bell in the middle of the night and not remembering it until she sees the Chalupa wrappers in the morning. This is honestly the most relatable that Erica Jane has ever been. It's not expensive to be her anymore. You know, you can get a Thanksgiving feast's worth of bean burritos for like $10 at Taco Bell. Erica Jane, more like Erica Plain. (laughs) That was so stupid, but honestly, it's a persona that she should consider leaning into. Erica starts ripping into Sutton, and she tells Garcelle that everything Sutton has said about her has been disproven, but she doesn't explain how or where it's been disproven. When asked by a producer where this alleged proof is, she says Bravo can go find it themselves. (laughs) Look, if you're so angry about these allegations and question marks flying all around you, if you so badly want to prove your innocence, show the proof. If you want people to believe you, why aren't you working to get people to believe you? You go find the proof is such a weird response when you're asking people to believe your innocence. It's it's so weird. In a world full of weird things that Erica Jane has done over the past two years, this is up there. Garcelle and Dorit have a little check-in via FaceTime, and I really like how Dorit calls Garcelle G. Uh, my husband and some of my friends call me B, and I think it's really cute. And I also just really like this friendship duo, and I hope that they can keep it up this season. D&G, 2022. I'm all for it. That night, Dorit's house is broken into. It's really scary watching the footage, and I know that there are people out there who aren't buying this story and they think that it's fake, but to me, there's no way in hell that Dorit or PK would fake this. Um, It was real, in my opinion. I just, I can't imagine that they would do that, period, but especially not while she was home, not while the kids were home. No, I just, I... I fully buy it, watching the footage and hearing her story 100%. The next day, Sutton goes to Kyle's. (laughs) Sutton clearly disagrees with me. Um, Kyle is hysterical, and Sutton is like, well, I have things to worry about, too. I'm sorry I didn't get robbed at gunpoint. Is my Sutton impression okay? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But honestly, she's, she's hilarious in this scene, albeit very insensitive, but hilarious. Sutton then brings up how she's dating again, and Kyle mentions that Erica has also started dating again, to which Sutton replies, well, our qualifications may be a little different. Sutton is not fucking around this season, and I'm here for it. 
She says that Erica misses her big house, the jewelry, the lifestyle. Meanwhile, Sutton still has all of those things. Sutton does, however, want to find a man who is tall, handsome, and loves cats. Which actually may be harder for Sutton to find than it is for Erica to find a sugar daddy. Okay, so this leads into a little social media war between Lisa Rinna and Sutton that went down last week. After seeing Sutton's comments about Erica and her penchant for sugar babying, Rinna posted basically saying that Sutton too was in fact a gold digger because all of her money came from her husband. But let's get it straight. Sutton and her husband were childhood friends. He built his business while married to her. She wasn't a poor single mom hitting on old lawyers at a bar while pouring them shots. I mean, I'm not judging either. I'm just saying there's a difference. So Erica goes to Kyle's house, and she tells Mauricio that he hurt her feelings last year with tears in her eyes, and she says it ever so gently. My question is, why is she able to so calmly express her feelings to Mo, but when it comes to all the women, she snaps and bites their heads off? Is she trying to suck up to Mauricio? Is he her new sugar daddy? I'm totally kidding, but I actually did just read a blind item that one of the West Coast housewives was having an affair with a castmate's husband, so just throwing that out there. Dorit shows up, and she explains to everyone what went down with the break-in. She heard the robber come into her room, and thinking it was one of her kids, she got up, and she sees a man standing in front of her. He shoves her down, he puts a gun to her head, and they take millions of dollars worth of belongings. I I truly can't imagine how terrifying this would be, um, but I saw a meme that someone made that was like, Lucy Lucy Applejuice would have never let those robbers get in the house. And it's funny, slash inappropriate, slash so true. <laughs> like, this is why I have three dogs. This could literally never happen at my house. I mean, I also don't have millions of dollars of jewelry and clothing and handbags, so it could never happen for that reason. You know, no one's trying to steal my H&M t-shirts. So Garcelle shows up and she rushes to console Dorit. And Dorit's explaining what happened again, and Erica's like, yeah, Garcelle, they had a gun to her head. As if Garcelle wasn't taking it seriously. Did anyone else catch that? It was a really weird moment. Garcelle brought Dorit a crystal. She clearly took it seriously. I actually bought a crystal this weekend at a random classic rock cover band concert. Mine isn't for healing or anything, though. It's to attract wealth and abundance. So I'm going to be rich, bitches. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. Don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am. He's developed all natural skincare products and more, crafted in California with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon. Have you heard of the antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin? Or how about how it helps treat acne? What about how cinnamon promotes blood flow, helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation? Some of my personal favorite products from Sinmin are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plum, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the Coco Chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Sinmin, you'll enjoy all the benefits Cinnamon has to offer your skin and your senses. 
Visit Sinmin.com, that's S-I-N-M-I-N.com, and use code Blake at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code Blake for 15% off your order at Sinmin.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Sinmin definitely helps. Okay, guys, I'm here with today's very special guest, Vanessa Riser. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. So for those of my listeners who don't know, you are the ex-fiance of a New Jersey housewife's new fiance, but you are so much more than that. More importantly, you are a therapist and you are an advocate for those who have dealt with abuse, specifically at the hands of narcissists. That's correct. Um, so I, you know, that's such an important conversation that needs to be had. Um, so I wanted to, you know, just jump in and, and ask, how did you get into this line of work initially? Now, was this something that you'd always been passionate about or did your own personal experiences drive you into that field? Yeah, so I was, um, I got my master's in my 40s. So I was um, very, very passionate about that career and that um you know, choice to become a social worker. I was very passionate about politics and I have a poli-sci undergrad and I thought, I don't want to be a lawyer. And if I go into politics, then I can't really be like pissing and vinegar like I want to be. So somebody told me, you should be a social worker. And I was like, what does that mean? And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. You mean I can be a clinician and I can run my mouth about politics and things that I'm passionate about and advocate. And so I found myself working in my 40s at um, the Jewish board in the Bronx, which is an outpatient mental health clinic, very triage style, kind of like crazy, you know, experience. Um, But it wasn't until and I was working at the Bronx High School of Science, which is actually a legendary institution where um, children have to test in. So it's really um, competitive and there was a lot of suicidal ideation. So really fast paced environment. And then um, I did find myself um, in a relationship that was transformative. And that's what catapulted me into this sort of niche uh, work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have to imagine that once you've experienced um, some of the things that you have experienced, and we can get into that, you know, it seems like there's two, two paths you can take. You can either, uh, kind of wallow in it and and let it define you, or you can course correct and you can help other people. So it definitely seems like you've taken path B and there's probably so many people that your personal experiences have helped. So you can definitely find solace in that. Yeah. It was interesting because I remember the moment that I thought I needed to do something bigger was I was, Um, actually talking to another ex and some of her stories and how she had to be quiet really bothered me because I don't have children with um, this person. Um, I thought I have to say something because I didn't have that wicked vulnerability. While I do have a 22 year old son, he he's, his father is, you know, not personality disordered. So this was really something I thought as a clinician, I'm like, I feel like I have to do something. I have to say something and be bold. And I remember vacillating between being really afraid of doing that because I knew I was going to take some licks and to be on the front lines was not going to be easy to go up against the monster. But I was like, I have to do this. I could feel like the millions of silent victims just pushing me like, go, Vanessa, go. 
So I just leaned into it and it, it's been scary, but it's also been like really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how would you define a narcissist? What is the definition of a narcissist? So a narcissist is somebody who has a very grandiose sense of self. Um, they tend to be very manipulative, controlling. They will isolate you from friends and family. Um, they are wickedly insecure. Um, they are gaslighters. Um, so that means, you know, in their efforts to confuse and control you, they'll use all kinds of tactics. Um, and that's one of them. It's no different than dealing with a cult leader. Um, a lot of times there are overlaps between sociopathy and psychopathy. So you're potentially dealing with somebody who is actually very dangerous. Um, but yeah, the sort of mind control um, and that component is really sort of the overarching theme for the narcissist. Most people think that they are into selfies. And I mean, while they do use social media as a, a kind of a tool to inflict pain on others, um, or they're very interested in the optics so they can kind of convince themselves that, you know, they are, are not the problem or, and, and tell other and sort of, perf it's very performative. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a level of like deviancy. It's not really what people think in terms of like, I love myself. They actually hate themselves. They're very vacant, insecure people. So they have to perpetuate, um, this kind of thing, but they need a constant supply to, they can't be alone for two seconds. So, um, they tend to have subsequent like supplies and supplemental supplies. There's never really just one. Somebody's usually getting the love bombing the most. That's like the main supply. And then there's these others. Um, so it's it's kind of like a tangled web. There are um, a lot of idiosyncratic behaviors that most people don't really understand. Yeah. So what are the signs that people need to be on the lookout for? Like, what are the identifiers of a narcissist? And specifically, if you don't mind, like, what were some of the key things that you started picking up on with your ex in particular that made you think like, okay, this, this is not normal. Narcissists will love bomb. So they will send you these long loving, like CVS style receipt um, text messages. You are my soulmate. I've never met anyone like you. I, I, you know, some are, uh, they can fake empathy and cry. I mean, very, very good actors. Um, but the love bombing stage, um, can be very intense in terms of trips and jewels and private jets and, um, just, you know, just, cards and scrolls and all kinds of crazy things will be gifted to you. Um, so that when, when they take it away, um, that, that creates a confusion and that's where the magic is of, in terms of mind control that they have figured out works for them. Yeah. And, and is that also to kind of, um, create a, a power dynamic as well? Absolutely. All right. Now you mentioned gaslighting. Now this has kind of become like a buzzword of late. Um, and I, I don't even think most people have seen the movie, <laughs> but I, I want to know what is gaslighting, you know, explain to my listeners what that means, because I think people throw it out really often now. And, and there is a very specific, you know, uh, definition to it. 
Yeah. Gaslighting can show itself in a very overt way. So that might be like when Donald Trump used to say, like, I didn't say that. And all of the, you know, reporters were like, well, actually, we have a video of you saying it right here. We're going to play for you. And he was still like, I didn't say that. Like, so gaslighting can be that kind of overt version where they're lying to your face and creating confusion. Well, maybe he didn't say that. or Maybe she didn't say that. Well, yes, that's gaslighting. However, gaslighting is also kind of the circular crazy making conversations that you might find yourself in with a narcissist because they need that coveted supply. They need that constant attention. So they will take you on circular conversations, talking about something ad nauseum over and over and over again. Um, so as to confuse and control, because I remember at one point I was like stuttering. I was like misfiring because I kept going on these conversations until I just couldn't do it anymore. But it's like, if you're on Avenue, if you're on Houston Street in Manhattan and somebody just keeps taking you down avenues A, Avenue B, Avenue D, deflect like a crab, sidestepping, it will make you crazy and frustrated. Um, those are the kinds of things that are um, versions of gaslighting. So if you find yourself just circular and kind of dizzy from, you know, this nonsensical go nowhere conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's enough to, to make anyone go crazy. Yeah. Uh, now you also mentioned love bombing, um, which is, you know, as you described just this overflow of affection and gifts and, you know, attention, um, then just to have it all pulled away from you. Now, is it common in narcissists or, you know, in people that kind of show these tendencies to jump from very serious relationship to very serious relationship? Um, because it's, it seems like that would, that would kind of go hand in hand with that love bombing. Like the, as soon as you meet this person, they are just infatuated with you. I love you. I love you. You get, you know, you move really, really fast. And, and, um, it's kind of like a, a an immediate roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're ne- they, they cannot be alone. So there's always someone, a um, lot of engagements, a lot of, you know, engagement rings and a lot of um, you hear stories of people having like a double life. Right. So somebody might have, you know, a boyfriend in, you know, a different state and you don't come to learn about this sort of under belly of like their universe. And I hear this from my clients all the time. You know, I didn't know that he had a baby with this one, or I didn't know, you know, that this whole other life was being experienced. We saw that a little bit with the Tinder swindler, which was a very sort of malignant version of how he would almost like, you know, steal from one to pay for the next, like really like wicked overlap. So that's kind of the scenario. And this is all because they can't be alone to be alone. is for them to sort of sit in this, like, um, insecure, invalidated experience. So it's very hard for them. So they, they do, they hop from relationship to relationship. If you know people and they're in a relationship and you say to yourself, I don't know, they're both kind of seem narcissistic, whoever moves on faster, that's probably the one that's the worst narcissist. That's funny. Uh, so you have somewhat famously at this point, uh, made several claims against your ex-fiance, who, as we uh, mentioned, he is now on The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Um, You've accused him of narcissistic abuse, among other things. Why was it so important for you to speak out about what you personally had been through at the hands of your ex, you know, right now? 
Well, I can't really get into too much specifically as it relates to um, that person. Um, again, I just felt the need to, um, you know, speak out for the silent victims. There are just too many clients that I have, friends that I have, um, that um, I needed to use the platform to um, spread awareness for this insidious form of domestic violence. So um, I can't get too much into that. A lot of it is Googleable, um, but I, I can't get too much into, you know, per my attorney. Yeah, we don't need to go into the specific claims or anything. Um, was any was any part of you speaking out um, maybe in hopes of sending a message or a word of advice to uh, this person's new flame? I always, always support women. I never, ever victim blame, ever. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, how this person is behaving and people are kind of not really happy about it. Um, I really feel bad. I really feel bad for anyone who goes through this. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, and I, you know, I take that very clinical role in terms of um, just concern because it's concerning. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't ever victim blame. I, I wish that I could um, inspire people to understand this and be careful and mindful so they don't go through it. But just like dealing with trying to extricate someone from a cult, it is particularly challenging because of the lies that they're being fed and the information that they're getting. And I'm fully aware of that. And that's why I don't victim blame, because I know what goes on behind the scenes. I know what's being said. I know the, the things that are being perpetuated. Um, and so I try to keep that hard and fast. Sometimes it can be challenging, you know, because I have clients that, you know, tell me that the new supply, you know, is coming after them. And, and, and sometimes, so sometimes you can get pressed. I have been fortunate not, enough to not have had that happen. Um, but, you know, I do, I do feel bad for anybody that is going through something like this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you're not the only ex who has uh, suffered at the hands of this person. And you're not the only ex that has publicly made claims against him. Um, you know, accusations of emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all of which he, of course, is denying. Um, but what does it say about someone when they leave a trail of people behind them who are all making the same claims? I think ultimately my goal actually with the work that I do is to make it so we really only need one person to sort of announce this because it bothers me like with Bill Cosby and the 5 million women that had to come out and say, you know, I too was drugged and raped. I mean, can you imagine not validating, you know, just the one woman or the one victim? So, I mean, ideally I'd love to get to a place where it doesn't take three, four, five, six, 76 people to be heard and believed. It should be one woman. It should be one victim says this occurred and people take pause and go, hold on a second. You know, there could be something going on here. You know, if you pay attention to a lot of the um, 
characteristics, like this sort of like suave, philanthropic, you know, I'm a great daddy on social media. Look at me and my, my parenting. You can begin to really understand what you're witnessing. A lot of people don't really understand it as I did not understand it. Even as a clinician, I learned about this on TikTok originally. Um, but you, you know what? When- you can learn a lot on TikTok. There's a lot on there. <laughs> a lot on TikTok. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for us to validate um, victims because the compounded trauma is really not so much with the abuser anymore. It's the people that are around that are supposed to protect us and kind of believe us that we really need the support from. It's no different than when I was working in the Bronx and there would be somebody who came in and, you know, they were in the foster care system and they were, you know, raped by their, their foster parent and the system fails them. They're looking, you know, to feel believed. Really, we just want to be believed and heard by everyone else, not necessarily the abuser. We're over that part. We're looking for you to say, no, 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 I believe you. I, this happened. Like, I got you. What can we do to help kind of thing? That's really the magic. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there have been multiple videos that have surfaced online uh, that show your ex in kind of weird situations, seemingly begging for, uh, you know, his his ex at that given time back. Um, Were you the recipient of any of these videos? I can say that I never received a warrior video. Okay. That I can tell you. Um, Okay. I'm familiar with that organization and it is very um, toxic masculinity. I don't think it originally started that way. I think it was designed to actually to help men, but the person who runs it kind of takes men and throws them into these really awful scenarios and, you know, tortures them in some ways. Um, so as to deal with their trauma, which I know as a clinician is exactly what you don't do. And I would challenge him to give me data that says that that works because there's none. Um, but so that's a very sort of toxic, um, experience. And that seems to be a theme, um, for, um, that organization and the people that are involved in it. Yeah. Now these, uh, videos that are, you know, show him begging for a a woman back and apologizing and and weeping is, is this, would this be considered love bombing or is this another form of manipulation? Great question. It is love bombing because what happens in the cycle of abuse is the original stage is the love bombing. And then the devaluing stage they call it devaluing. This can be just the removal of the love bombing. So it can be, you get your teeth knocked down your throat. It can be, you call you're called an asshole, but it can also just be the removal of the love bombing. So this is where you're getting reinforced. Then it goes into um, the discard. The discard could be like a breakup or a fight, right? So we'll call it the discard because that's what the cycle looks like. But this cycle goes on repeat. So the love bombing starts, the tension building happens, the fallout occurs, the love bombing happens, the tension build. And so you just stay like this until you're kind of, you know, dizzy and confused um, and pretty well traumatized. But yeah, love bombing is sort of, it it keeps coming um, until it doesn't. Yeah. So I know you uh, have been watching this season of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Um, Were you a fan prior to your ex joining the show or did you start watching because of that? Yeah, I watched for years. Um, I watched a few of the different franchises um, for a few different seasons and I can't recall sort of intermittently, but 
you know, we live in New York and New Jersey, my friends and I, so we're really close to the area. So we know a lot of the people that are, you know, kind of on the fray or whatever. So um, yeah, I've been watching New Jersey for years. I cried when, you know, Teresa returned from uh, prison. I think like a lot of people did, it was really kind of emotional. Like I get the chills just thinking about, you know, as a mother, um, what that must have been like, um, and just really horrified for the girls um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I'm definitely familiar with the players that I've watched for you know years. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to imagine personally, if someone that I was romantically involved with ended up, you know, immediately going and dating someone on a reality show and and joining the cast of that show. I would watch. I mean, there's no way I wouldn't watch. So what do you say to any of the viewers who uh, feel like you're you're watching to kind of feed into the drama? I, I mean, like I said, I, I wouldn't be able to turn it off if my ex was on TV. Yeah, it's not just me. I mean, we watch it on a Zoom meeting every Tuesday with a bunch of my girlfriends, a bunch of the exes, and we just witness, you know, what's going on. And it's like, you know, it, it's like, you know, equal parts horrifying to witness, you know, this sort of copy and paste scenario. Um, but also, yeah, it's, it's like, how could you not, you're just curious about what's happening. Um, and it kind of feels like some days I'm living in like a telenovela where I'm just like, what's this Netflix episode going to like, what's going to happen next? It's just, it is very surreal. It's very strange. Yeah. Do you see a different version of your ex on the show or is he pretty true to form? Um, I haven't seen, you know, it's hard to say because, um, I don't know, you know, this version of this person. Got it. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, in the finale episode, he was wearing like that leather jacket with the like bedazzling on the back. Is, is that his normal style? <laughs> People were very curious about the jacket. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen him wear something like that before. Okay, yeah, a lot of people felt like he was, you know, kind of trying to lean into this new role as a reality star. I mean, there was even the comment he made in that episode about let's get out of here and go move into our, you know, $15 million house or whatever he said. It, like, it just, it was a little icky. So I, I was curious if he has always been like that or if that's kind of a new TV version. I wasn't really surprised to see him brag. Okay. Okay. So some people uh, were confused because um, you had previously posted on social media, uh, some videos sending a message to Margaret Joseph. So people were wondering, are you friends with Margaret? Is she really getting all of this information straight from you? So for the record, uh, what is your connection with Margaret and have you ever directly given her information about your past relationship? No, it's funny that that happened, but I think when you're dealing with um, Teresa, historically, she would always blame other people for whatever her misdeeds were or whatever her husband's misdeeds were. So I wasn't surprised to see that. And that is gaslighting. Um, that's what you're witnessing when you see someone do that. So, you know, sort of when you're dealing with an issue and they're kind of getting you to look over here again, that's that whole like, huh, huh? What, what? No, 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 no. It's like, you know, if you find your spouse um, cheating because you went through their phone and they're like, well, why'd you go through my phone? It's like, no, motherfucker. Like, that's exactly what you're watching. And it's gaslighting. It's a version of gaslighting. So I'm not surprised to see it um, because, the, you know, things were coming out about him before Margaret. 
um, mention them. Um, and you know, if, if you're going to be on a reality TV show, you have to talk about your life. I mean, so you're not going to be able to live in a vacuum. Yeah. And you would think that Teresa would know that by now, like she's had to talk about everything. (laughs) Yeah. But she's perpetuating the Louis didn't sign up for this, which I, I read online. People don't agree with. Yeah, no, I mean, you you sign up for it the second that you you know uh, get in a relationship with Teresa Judice uh, or any of the housewives. And again, at this point, the show's been on long enough. I have to assume uh, that he was familiar with the show before he met her. So you know, they all know how it works. And I think you have to sign something to be filmed. Oh yeah, for sure. He's mic'd up. You know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So what is your take on the phrase love bubble? You know, we heard of this love bubble all season long. Do you think that this concept of like a protective shield around your relationship is healthy or is needing a defense mechanism like to protect your relationship a a bad sign? You know, I really wish somebody would have told me, you know, what was going on. So I think that, you know, it's important to pay attention to what others are trying to tell you. Um, it may not always um, be truth, but I, I think you should keep an open mind so that you can discern, you know, fact from fiction and the rest. I mean, obviously there are going to be people that um, are going to be toxic and they don't want you to be happy and they may try to harm your relationship. Um, and certainly if you're in the public eye, I could understand why she's, you know, careful to see, but, um, if it were me, I would want to know, um, things that had gone on in my, you know, relationship with this person to, so I could protect myself and my children. Yeah. And by definition, bubbles burst. So not the best analogy. I mean, we know Teresa is not great with analogies, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's true. (laughs) So this season, uh, we heard about Jen husband, Jen's husband, Bill's past infidelities and how that had affected their marriage. And, um, Jen expressed a lot of concern about feeling like she would be blamed by both of their families if she were to, uh, you know, come out with, with his, uh, cheating. So what is your take on this dynamic and how Jen seems to blame women over men? You know, she's worried about the blame being put onto her for Bill's affair. She has historically very harshly judged Margaret for being open about her past infidelities. Um, but she doesn't seem to put any of the focus or the blame on the men. So where do you think that this type of attitude stems from? I think when we're watching Jennifer and Teresa, we're watching people that were raised in very cultural, culturally patriarchal environments where, um, they sort of are not maybe connected to, um, sort of the, the female experience to the extent that they should be. And so they're not honoring, um, other females and their experience. Um, so I, I think it's probably very cultural for both of them in terms of their, what they grew up um, and how their family dynamics were. I can't, I don't know either one of them and I don't know either one of their families, but I'm just kind of guessing and assessing from afar that that may be a variable that um, sort of, you know, prompts their 
um, inability to hold men as accountable in some ways. So it's very troubling for me as a feminist that I witnessed that. It, that may be the worst thing I watch, actually. It's like, fuck, that pisses me off when like, you know, because it's it's way more macro level that sort of harms all women when you do that. And so that may be the, the like the one little thing where I'm like, get your shit together, girl. I don't like watching that. And I think that's why I really resonate with Margaret's experience, because, you know, while she's made mistakes, she's an open book. And then she tries to advocate for women, Teresa included. Um, but so I think, you know, that tr is triggering as a woman to witness. But, yeah, I, I see a lot of that with the two of them specifically. Yeah. And how much does the patriarchy and misogyny feed into narcissistic abuse? I mean, I, I have to imagine that there is data um, that would show, you know, uh, how many male narcissists there are versus like female narcissists. And, and my guess is that it would lean heavily more towards the male side. Does, does that seem to kind of go hand in hand to you? It is higher in men. However, men generally who are the victims of the female narcissist sort of underreport. Um, I have a lot of clients that are the daughters of a narcissistic mother. Um, but it is by and large men that are the perpetrators. Um, and we see this a lot with psychopathy and sociopathy. There are very few female sociopaths. Um, I think there are a lot of theories around intergenerational trauma that sort of support, um, you know, these numbers, but it, for now, I mean, we could theorize on this and many do, I, for now it really is by and large uh, men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. We live in a, a highly um, toxic masculine society. And, and so it, it makes a lot of sense when you see men who just really like play into that because it's what, it's what they have been taught and it's how they've been, it's what they've been raised on. And I think that is, I mean, again, I'm, I'm no doctor, I don't have the data, but I have to imagine that societally that plays a big role in, um, you know, th these types of abusive relationships. Yeah. I don't think we, especially with this most recent political climate that we just endured, I don't think we did enough to sort of cultivate like an empathetic environment. Like I remember growing up with Sesame Street and sharing and learning. I don't think we live in a very capitalistic, individualistic society. Um, and while narcissists have been around forever, Freud famously walked away from treating them in psychopaths because they don't have insight and they don't really change. There's very few um, outliers, very little data on change. Um, but we don't do enough to like, you know, get into like practicing love. It's something that um, I think we've lost in some ways. Hopefully, you know, my son's generation can kind of get back into that space, but very individualistic too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, during the reunion, um, when asked why you and, you know, this person's other exes are coming out of the woodwork with these claims and assertions, uh, Teresa said that it was because you're all jealous that he ended up with the Teresa Judice. And she even goes so far as to compare herself to the evil queen by saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Um, do you have any response to that? I know that the narcissist will tell you that everyone is jealous of you um, in their love bombing stage. So I'm sure, you know, that's something that she might be being fed. Um, 
I don't think anyone is jealous um, of her. I think everyone I know is is concerned or actually is or loathes her. Most people really hate her that I know. They think she's just awful. They think that, you know, she's a narcissist, that she's just as disgusting. I mean, my friends are just like horrified by her. I'm the one that's like concerned and and sad about it. And they are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) But I just, I think also it's important for people to understand too. Like with me, I don't really fit the profile of a victim because I'm so badass. Like I'm a runner and I'm tough. And like, I think it's important to highlight that like it could happen to anybody. You understand? Like that's also part of the story is like, that's something too that I'm witnessing. That's really interesting. And I think that resonates a lot with like my male clients that are victims of female narcissists because they, they too feel like, you know, I don't fit the profile. I don't look like a victim and no one believes me. Right. So that goes back to the whole believing people conversation. But so I feel that this is an important part of the story, which is to sort of really honor um, that, you know, even this person might could experience something like this. Yeah. And I mean, we have seen in her past relationship, which played out very publicly that she was clearly the victim of, of a lot of abusive tendencies. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if you would classify Joe Judice as a narcissist, but that relationship was clearly very unhealthy. So while she doesn't have, you know, a, a long list of relationships for us to take a look at, this could be showing us the start of a pattern, you know? Um, it's not like she has made the best choices with men. Yeah. Um, they, that probably lends again into what might be that cultural piece in her childhood and growing up again, I don't know her. I can't assess like to that extent. I'm not diagnosing anyone. Just cover my ass, cover my ass, cover my ass. But, you know, it seems like that is, has played a big role for her. Yeah. So if you had to give Teresa one piece of advice or say one thing to her now, what would it be? Oof. I want to use one word, but, um, is it run? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No comment. Okay. Fair. All right. (laughs) We're going to wrap up, but I had one last question for you. If Andy Cohen came a knocking with a contract in hand, would you sign up to join the real housewives of New Jersey? Um, I don't know. I've never really thought that that would be something that would be good for me. Um, And yet my passion is to bring awareness to this. So any platform I can take, I would want to take. And that's, you know, my, my life's work is, is devoted to, um, I really want to change the world. Yeah. I really want to, I really want to change the world. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure what that would mean. You know? Yeah. It seems seems scary. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that after knowing you for like 30 minutes, you are a badass. And I think it would be great TV if if we got to see (laughs) you on that cast. That's for sure. Yeah. That would be good TV for sure. (laughs) All right, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me. Will you tell all of my listeners where they can find you on social media so they can keep up with all of the great work that you're doing? Yes, brilliant. Thank you. I am on Instagram at Vanessa Riser LCSW. 
Um, you can find me at tellatherapist.net um, or my nonprofit is tellatherapist.org. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. This was such a great conversation. I had such a blast talking to you. Thank you so much, really. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. 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 B